Gary asked me to speak uh, on uh, the expected Messiah. I, I forgot all about Christmas. <laughs> and it, probably you're, speak, you're wondering uh, why I'm speaking on this this morning, but it was on my heart to speak on this. And um, it's not about his birth. And yet that's the season we're in, isn't it? Could someone read for me the passage because I want to save my voice? It's from Luke 4, and of course it's quoting from Isaiah 61. Thank you, Mikey. Uh, If we could read from verse uh, 16 through to verse 30, and I know that's quite a bit, and I don't want to be too long, but I'm probably going to be long, so um, bear with us here. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. Is that on? Um, what verses again, sir? From verse 16 cool. to verse 30. Awesome. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marvelled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, uh, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Incredible thing, really, isn't it, that um, one moment they're praising the Lord or they're wondering about the gracious words that are coming out of his mouth, and then they want to kill him. Here's the Jewish mindset. Here's the mindset of the Jew of the day, that the Gentiles had no place in God's plan. And when he brings up the fact that it wasn't to the Jews that in those days of Elijah and, and that... that um, that God moved, it was to the Gentiles, it was just beyond them, and they just, they just rioted. You know, the Old Testament is, is full of um, prophecies about the Messiah, and those Old Testament prophets, they're sort of painting a portrait of the Messiah to come. And as they're painting it, uh, a profile starts to emerge, and and it doesn't appear like things fit. There's a misfit in the picture. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty useless with that. 
but I used to do painting with numbers, you know, when I was a little fella. And even that was useless. I went over the line all the time. But as, as the painting is meant to be forming, you're meant to be able to see what it's meant to be representing. But the Jews missed it. They just missed this portrait that was being painted. But I can sort of understand why, because there's sort of a bit of a conflict between what one prophet says and what another prophet says. One says, he will reign on the throne of David. Another prophet says, he will be despised and rejected. Another prophet says, his kingdom will be from everlasting to everlasting. Who said that? Come on, guys. Sorry? Daniel. And then another prophet says, he will be betrayed with 30 pieces of silver. So you can understand how there's not a meshing there, how there's a sort of a misfit. But this portrait is being painted and it's a, it's a, glorious, a glorious picture. But it just seemed incomplete. Another prophet said uh, he will reign with a rod of iron and then he will be numbered with the transgressors. So when the Christ comes, when Messiah arrives, here's this hodgepodge of thought about who he is, what he'd do. And there was a misunderstanding generally about within the populace. So when Messiah arrives, here's this, all this different sort of thought about who he would be. You know, it's still here today, isn't it? There's still a lot of misunderstanding about the person of Jesus, who he is. And yet that's the great question. Who do you think he is? There were expectations on the nation. They had great expectations and it was a sort of a common thought that uh, there would be a national deliverance from the Romans. There would be a national salvation which would come to them and there would be a national glory. Of course, we know that those things that are to be, they will happen. The Bible makes it quite clear that Israel will be the head of the nations and there will be a glory associated with them that people will want to be associated with and they'll come up to Jerusalem and this will happen. But this was really their mindset. When Messiah arrives, when he's finally announced by John the Baptist, he announces them in such a strange way. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our sin. Our sin is taken. So here's this background. A wayward nation, a nation with all the privilege, everything had been given to them, and they had these expectations. But they were a covenant-breaking people. They really didn't get it, and their history was checkered, to say the least. Israel was in a terrible spiritual condition. Their leaders were corrupt. They were bad examples, and they had bad belief. And, of course, the bad example comes from the bad belief. They were a people who had been weakened by years of spiritual famine. We're sort of a little bit in that situation ourselves. I'm not saying there's a church here, but generally speaking, the church in the West is, is declining. We're not the way we should be. 
they were oppressed by the Romans, the religion, and their own riches. Their absolute thought about how riches were a blessing to them was, it was stifling them. And so, you know, they were going after riches. And of course, there were certain blessings to Israel that were about riches that were associated to that nation, that if they did this, they'd get this. But in reality, their whole focus was on getting and not giving. They were an oppressed people. Religion was stifling them. It was killing them. And religion always kills. It never brings life. Of course, religion is you trying to get approval with God by your efforts. And of course, we can fall into that trap as well, can't we? As believers in this dispensation, we can really uh, be on this um, performance-type Christianity. Brothers and sisters, that should not be. There was sickness, there was disease, there was demon possession, immorality was strife. It almost seems like this blessed nation was cursed. And in fact, that's what they were. But in this scene and in this environment, this is where Messiah arrives. He arrives on the scene with this political and religious turmoil. And he comes in power. But at the same time, there were Old Testament saints living. The disciples were believers. As muddled as they were and as wrong as they were in many times, they were Old Testament believers. Mary and Joseph were Mary Old Testament believers. Simeon was an Old Testament believer. They were all expecting the Messiah. And when he arrives, they did recognise him. They were his sheep. The father in John 17 says, the father has given them to the son. They already had identity with God. So here's this mixture, this terrible situation, and yet amongst it all there are believers. They recognised the Lord because they were his sheep. And in this, we've just read that as he goes into into, back to his own hometown, the place where he received no honour. In fact, the place they tried to kill him. He announces these things that Isaiah, 750 years prior, had, had written about him. Christ's person the Spirit of the, God, of the Lord is upon me, he says. Amazing thing, isn't it, that you would think that this perfect man, this perfect vessel, would have to be anointed by his own Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God. That's a bit of a wonder. And I, I scratch my head over that. I think he is the perfect vessel, and yet he's for service. He has to be anointed and he is, of course, in the rivers of Jordan, that dirty flood. Not the waters themselves, but his submission and his identification with that nation. He says, it must happen, I must fulfil all righteousness. And so as he goes into those waters of baptism and he comes out, here's this physical presence of the Spirit coming upon him in the form of a dove. That was really for John. 
because John had been told that's what he would see and that one would be the Messiah. Here's the second cousin of Jesus who probably had association with him as he was growing up and yet he needed that sign and he was looking for that sign. But here's Isaiah, uh, sorry, Luke recording for us that, that when he comes up out of those waters, he's now ready for service. And the Bible says this in Luke 4, it says that he was filled with the Spirit and he went into the wilderness to be tempted. Yeah, Christ's person, Emmanuel, the Word, the Word was with us. He's still with us. He's the communication of God to man. We use words, don't we, for that, to communicate to one another. But freaky if you don't. But that's what the word was, God's communication to humanity and particularly to that nation. He was the anointed one. He was prophet, priest and king. He was conceived by the Spirit, that incarnation, the fact that God is manifest in the flesh who comes to us, is living amongst us. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, gave he them the right to become children of God. He was conceived, consecrated, and commissioned by the Spirit. This is amazing. This is a picture of us. Because we are incarnational, aren't we? We are meant to be taking Jesus into the workplace, into the study place, into our neighbourhoods. This is how the world will see Jesus. It'll see him and you. But only by the Spirit's work. You can study all you like. You can get the intellectual knowledge. But if you're not filled with the Spirit every day, there's little of Christ, there's much of me. It's a challenge to us, brothers and sisters. Yes, he was filled, he was led, and he was empowered by the Spirit. What a Saviour. He's a man, you see. He's living by faith. He's like us. You could see that, or you would think that although he's God, he'd have it all under control. But his Godhood, his deity, it did not dismiss or override his humanity. And in his humanity, he comes to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the prisoner free, to open the eyes of the blind. It's our ministry. And I'm not talking about miraculous stuff. I'm talking about this is what the gospel does. It frees people. It brings people into glorious liberty. He was a perfect vessel, holy, harmless, and humble. I love that. He was a surrendered man. Prayerful, faithful, obedient. He was a tested man, but victorious, an overcomer. No failure in Christ. The first man failed terribly. The second Adam was perfect. 
here. There was no internal response to Satan's temptations. Not like you and me. We consider things, (laughs) even though it might be fleetingly, we consider things because we have that nature of sin still with us. But not so with the Lord. Yeah. No independence from God, complete and total submission, complete and total commitment to the will of the Father. This is his person. This is who he's like. Faith-filled, a faith-filled man. And this is what we are meant to be like. He is our example. We're not Christ, of course. That's obvious. But this is where our growth is. This is where, after you have been born again by that one spirit, you now should be growing in Christ. Yes, his divinity did not overrule or advantage his humanity. He was a man who lived by faith. And he was on a mission. He was on a mission. Christ's purpose to save sinners, to redeem, to rescue, to reconcile, to reclaim, to renew and restore people back into fellowship with God. To heal the damage caused by sin. And boy, it causes so much damage. I mean, we're all broken, but some are more broken, aren't they? And I see that when I go into the prison. I saw it yesterday. I was trying to preach, and a guy came right up into my face, and I was scared, but he was a broken man. But you know, at the end of the day, he hung around, and he hung around, and he hung around, and at the end of the day, he came up to me, and he said this. He said, "Uh, I've learned something today. I said, oh, what's that, Wilson? He said, oh, you've got to be born again to get to heaven. I'd say that's a great lesson. <laughs> that's great, isn't it? Yeah, Christ's purpose, to preach the gospel, to preach by his life without hypocrisy and to preach by um, explanation, He had to explain things to people, and he did that with parables. Yeah, without without hypocrisy, but with care. People knew he cared. He took time. People mattered to him. In his explanation of the Scriptures, he says, you have heard, but I say to you, Wow, here's a higher revelation. Here's a greater understanding that Jesus gives. And it's not that the Old Testament was lacking anything. It just didn't have Christ, the fulfillment of those scriptures. He says he came to preach good news, deliverance, freedom, forgiveness, available to anybody and everybody who would accept him the way. He came to preach to the poor, the bankrupt of any hope. They'd been trodden down by life. But he's come in the power of the Spirit. 
poor are trapped in spiritual poverty. They have no spiritual assets. That was me before I was saved. I had nothing to offer God. When I got saved, I didn't give anything to him. I did not give my heart to him. He did not want my heart. It was black with sin. I had to receive. There's a humility associated with receiving Christ. You've got to humble yourself. And the poor were ready for this because they had nothing else. Of course, the leaders were so proud that they couldn't see. They were blind. The poor, those who are under the circumstances of life. Are you under the circumstances of life today? Has life overcome you? Are you weighed down by it? If you're a Christian, you should not be there. But it does happen, doesn't it? We do get overcome. But this is the poor. He came to rescue. They were in a subsistence, in an existence, but without God. That's what I call a subsistence. It's under what we should be. And it certainly was the case in my life. I thought I was doing okay. <laughs> Until I heard. I wasn't. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, the disappointed, the discouraged, the disgraced, the disenfranchised. The disappointed, they've been let down. The discouraged, they've been downcast. The disgraced, they've been outcast. And the disenfranchised, they've been set aside. But that's who he's come to, to heal them, to give them hope. To give him eternal life, his life. It's not a commodity that we tuck away and hide and store and use when we want to. Eternal life's his life. And it needs to be lived. Pride is still preventing people from acknowledging their need of Christ today. Pride's the real enemy of man. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's, he's with us today. And I don't know where you are in your Christian walk. Or I don't know where you are in your, in your life generally. But I, I commend you to Jesus. He's, he's wonderful. Believers belong to him. Believers belong to him. He purchased us. He bought us. It cost him a lot. Cost him everything. Cost you nothing. Cost me nothing. But if I'm going to follow him, that's going to cost me. But he's challenging us today. Follow him. Christ's power to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound never was it imagined by human minds that a criminal's cross would be God's instrument of emancipation. We could never have thought that up. That a cross where criminals were crucified was God's way to bring us into freedom. Freedom from the condemnation of sin, freedom from the power of sin, and ultimately freedom from the presence of sin. It's going to happen. We're going to be free completely one day. Without a nature broken, without the problem of me. But it's coming. 
I look forward to it. But this is Christ's power to proclaim liberty. He's the freedom fighter. He's the one who fought for us at Calvary. We're going to remember that. We're going to remember that. The cross is God's solution to humanity's problem. The believer has been set free. Are Are you feeling you're set free this morning? And then he says, in the recovery of the sight to the blind, those who wouldn't see couldn't, but those who would can now see. I once was blind, but now I see. And finally, Christ's promise, his promise, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. It was then when those people in that synagogue heard this, they, they realised and they saw the gracious words that were flowing from his heart. But he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It has happened. He has arrived. He is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We're on a journey. To those of his day, they probably scratched their head and wondered. They knew Isaiah 61. He just read it from their scroll. In that promise is Messiah's presence realised, his promise fulfilled and his power experienced. This is for us today. This is all for us today. His presence realised, his promise fulfilled and his power experienced. Yesterday I didn't feel too powerful to tell you the truth out there preaching. And I didn't make too good a job of it, to tell you the truth. I came home and said that to Joe. But it was a great day. And it was a great day because we were doing what we should be doing. Preaching to the poor. And they weren't all poor, but they were poor. And now finally, Christ's people today, which ain't up there. But how are we doing with our salvation? How are we doing with it? This incarnational ministry is in jars of clay. We're crackpots, really. But the wonder of that is that the light shines through the cracks. And the world ought to see that. We're vessels of honour. We have an anointing. John writes that, doesn't he, in First John? We have an anointing of the Holy One. We have, are regenerated by that Spirit. That's born again. Then we're sealed by that Spirit. That means ownership. Then we're filled with that Spirit. That means service. And then we're led by that spirit. That means journey. And then we're empowered by that spirit, which I believe means souls. It means souls. It translates to souls, one souls for Christ. 
Yeah, the Christian life is the greatest life. Don't let anyone ever tell you that it's hard. Now, I know what they mean, but it's the greatest life. And we have the privilege of living it, but you cannot, I cannot live it. It's the impossible life. You can only live it by the power of the Spirit of God. And sometimes I think, us brethren, we've shut him out. We've put him in a box. I think I've done that. But I'm saying today that if we want to be useful and pleasing to the Lord, you can only do it by surrender and submission to the Spirit's power and the Spirit's direction in your own life. You do that, God's going to take your wonderful life and he's going to use it in other people's lives because that's why we're here. When we get to heaven, we're only going to be here with us. You're not going to have any opportunity to share Christ with anyone up there because we're going to be in the presence of Christ. And that'll be a great thing too. But now's the time. The days are short. Time is running out. Let's put aside petty stuff. Let's deal with the real stuff. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for working in our hard hearts and bringing us to a place where we understood, we realised who he is, Emmanuel. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for each other this morning, that we are blood-bought saints. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.